0: Also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret the pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play Plus 4 and release the secret the pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, Grip Golf Pride. Okay, now joining me is two-time winner on tour, Rick Fair. Let me give you some background on Rick. He's from Seattle, Washington. He won the 1979 National Junior Championship, played his college golf at BYU, where he earned his bachelor's degree in finance. Rick was named All-American in 1982, 83, and 84, and he was the WAC Conference Player of the Year all three of those years as well. Plus, he helped BYU win the WAC Conference Championship all four years he was there. Rick was a member of the Cougars National Championship team in 1981, along with our friend Richard Zokol. Rick won the 1982 Western Amateur. In 1983, he was a member of the Walker Cup team that defeated Great Britain and Ireland 13.5 to 10.5. Rick was a low amateur in the 1984 Masters and U.S. Open. Turned pro in 1984 and joined the PGA Tour in 1985. Got his first win at the 1986 BC Open. Win number two came at the 1994 Disney World Oldsmobile Classic. Rick finished number one on tour in putting in 1998. And along with his two wins, he finished second nine times and had 41 top tens. In 1999, Rick was inducted into the BYU Hall of Fame. And in 2019, he was inducted into the Pacific Northwest Golf Association Hall of Fame. And I'm very honored. He is with me here tonight on Next on the T. Hey, Rick, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks, Chris. Great to join you. Rick, with first-time guests, I always like to start at the beginning. Where did your love for the game come from? And who was the first person to put a club in your hands?
1: Well, probably like so many back in uh, the days when I was learning, uh, my father. My dad was... Uh, an avid golfer and a really good one. He won his club championship at our home course 21 times. <laughs> All said and done, uh, won the Washington State Open as an amateur, I think, in 1962, the year I was born. So he was avid golfer. And then uh, I was introduced to the game at Sandpoint Country Club out here in Seattle. And I played a lot of other sports, but I fell in love with golf and, and uh, went on from there. Kind of had some early success. Won junior tournaments right away and um, kind of just went from there and felt one thing on the other. And, um, by the way, your research is tremendous. I, I wouldn't have been able to recount all those things I did many years ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so, Rick, you're talking about being so good at such a young age. Again, you won the, the 79 National Junior Championship. I'm always intrigued. Talk about dealing with tournament pressure at such a young age. How did you deal with that?
1: Well, it's interesting that now that I reflect back after on the PGA Tour obviously and then now as many years as an instructor and coach, I feel like I understand it a whole lot better. my um, path was uh always competitive. You know, That's that's important and I found a lot of motive self-motivation. I didn't need anybody to tell me to get out there and practice and I was Out here in Seattle, I was often the only dummy on the golf course in the pouring rain. And I just, (laughs) I had work to do and and goals to achieve. Um, I, I, friend of mine, Phil Blackmore, maybe you've had Phil on, but uh, we chat from time to time and, and, you know, we use the phrase self-belief and and how, you know, I think that Mark, you know, Calcavecchia and Pertz and all these guys, you know, how do you, how do you grow that? I'm not entirely sure. Trying to figure it out, but, but I think from an early age, I felt like I could dig deep and, and beat the other guys. And, um, so, so I think that was a big part of it. And, and, you know, still enjoying the game, uh, always loving the challenge of, of getting better. And, uh, so whatever I just found it kind of found a channel for, um, my drive and motivation and it happened to be playing golf.
0: And Rick, as a kid growing up in Seattle, again having won a a junior championship, I have to imagine colleges from all over the country were trying to recruit you. Who were some of the, the the colleges coming after you? Which which ones were you considering, and how did BYU end up being the one you chose?
1: Great question. Uh, so Seattle's not not quite in the middle of the golf hotbed, and 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 when I played junior golf, it was right right when the Junior Golf Association was starting to kind of get its feet under itself, and and it was probably more of a southeast kind of thing. So, you know, we played a handful of tournaments out here, just the uh, U.S. Junior and the PGA National Junior is the one I won there in '79. But yeah, I I think coaches coaches start figuring out there's a kid up here in the in the Northwest that play a bit. And so Jesse Haddock at Wake Forest and Mike Holder at Oklahoma State. Um, Eddie Marin's at UCLA and then, who ended up being my coach, was recruiting me. And, and then kind of late in the game, uh, Stanford and David Yates, he was kind of a, um, became the coach at Stanford kind of at the end of my recruiting process. And, uh, anyway, I, I, I visited UCLA and, oh, and there was also Ohio State, I'm sorry, but I visited UCLA and Ohio State, BYU, and I just, uh, the kind of the culture and the atmosphere at BYU just felt like, hey, if I'm going to tra- leave town and, and leave home and live somewhere else and play college golf, uh, BYU felt comfortable. I'm not, I'm not Mormon, but at the time we had, you know, quite a few of the athletes that were recruited weren't. And, um, you know, BYU at the time had a great legacy of success, perennially top five in the country back in the, back in the 80s when I was there. And, uh, so, anyway, that was so that uh, landing at BYU, and it was a great four years, and we had a lot of success.
0: Yeah, so talk about, you, you mentioned how perennially they were there in the top five. I mean, the year before you get there, they finished second in the national championship, so they had pretty high expectations coming into your freshman year, and then all of a sudden, you guys win a national championship. But talk about joining a team. I mean, talk about jumping into the fire. You're on a team that's ready to win a national championship, and then you go on and do it. Talk about that. Well,
1: the first thing we had to do was to get Bobby Clampett to turn pro early and get rid of him. Um, he <laughs> yeah, he left after his <laughs> junior year, you know. So the, the you know the the tail of the tape is we would have been super strong if Bobby you know had stayed for his senior year. So we were probably uh, you know sort of our rankings or expectations obviously went down when Bobby left for good reason, right he was ready to play professional golf and uh and I came and i you know good fortunately for me, I hit the ground running and and our fall qualifiers actually as a freshman was winning those qualifiers and shooting crazy scores, so I was able to jump into the lineup right away and had some early success and um yeah, we all really enjoyed each other, great you know like you mentioned richard zoel and and other clearwater and and other guys that were good friends and all really good players. And we, we all went really well at Stanford golf course there in May and, and, uh, knocked off Oral Roberts there down the stretch.
0: Rick, like I mentioned in your intro, you were a part of the 1983 Walker Cup team. You guys had Nathaniel Crosby was a part of that team, a U.S. amateur champion. Brad Paxton was another member of that team. Talk about. You're making that team and then going over to uh, Royal Liverpool and winning the event.
1: Yeah, uh, I suppose the way I got on that team probably, it, it primarily was having won the Western amateur, uh, losing the semifinals at the US Amateur. Am. So, um, you know, those two things, obviously, uh, couple of the, the top amateur, uh, tournaments and, and got the attention of, the USGA and the the selection committee and, um, wonderful, wonderful experience went over there. And th- that year, Jay Siegel was the playing captain. So he was the captain of the team and, and was a, also a, a player in the lineup. And he chose me as his, uh, um, as his partner in all the, the foursomes and four ball matches. And, uh, you know, it was a great experience. So a couple, 36 holes a day in practice and, I played all the matches, so it was a lot of work and pretty exhausted at the end of the day, but we uh, narrowly knocked them off over there at Royal Liverpool.
0: Rick, you played in the Masters in 1983 and 84 as an amateur. I believe you missed the cut probably by a stroke, I think it was, in 83. You come back and you're low amateur in 84 and tie for 25th in the golf tournament. That was the year Ben Crenshaw got his first win there. So you're there in, in Butler Cabin being interviewed by Augusta National Chairman Horde Harden for the CBS broadcast. You're there on the podium on 18 getting presented the low amateur trophy. Talk about what that experience was like for you.
1: Hey, yeah, very fortunate. Uh, 83. Unfortunately, I missed the cut by one stroke. I remember we had rain delays and, um, Dr. Gil Morgan, uh, eight, to knock me out meaning if he had bogeyed uh i would have been within 10 shots of the lead so missed by one that first time was fortunate to go back in 84 and played really really well i shot i think it was 72 71 70 the first three days and was i think i was tied for 12th going the last round uh disappointing final round of 75 but um uh anyway great experience and you know there's nothing like augusta and uh, i think all of us uh Pins and needles you feel uh like you're upon trying to get around eighteen holes with you know, and avoiding disaster and and managing your way around. But uh I was able to go back I think four more times as a professional, but but eighty four as an amateur was probably the probably the the best best experience I had there.
0: You went back in eighty six, you finished tied for thirty six, but the eighty six Masters is my favorite golf tournament ever. Did you stick around to see Jack Nicholas win it?
1: I, I did not. I did not. Uh, I wish I had. Obviously there was sometimes you don't know history is unfolding around you. And I've been asked, I was on the golf course a few holes behind Tiger when he made his hole in one at, at the uh, waste management or the Phoenix open. And I didn't hear a darn thing all the way out there on 13, but, um, no, that's one of the, Greatest wins of all time. And obviously Tiger has done some pretty special stuff since then, but I don't know if it was in 86, but uh, a memory of Nicholas and I don't know what year it was, but I think one of the greatest feats of all time is Jack Nicholas made two on the fifth pole twice in the same event. He went to tournament play, which is probably one of the toughest par fours that nobody ever sees. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Jack Nicholas is legendary and, and a wonderful man too.
0: Ricky, you get your first win on tour later that year in '86 at the BC Open. You win by two strokes over Larry Mize and finish two strokes off the tournament record, making four birdies on the front nine in the final round to get that win. Talk about what it was like getting your first win on tour.
1: Yeah, such a neat event, and I know it's found its way over to the Champions Tour now. But that community up there in Endicott, New York, has always done a great job, and it's a favorite. Stop for, for a lot of tour players through the years but um, it's interesting I had a horrible uh, uh, I didn't enjoy myself there let's say in 1985 I think I was grinding away and um, played poorly and I think the weather was lousy and so I didn't go there in 86 expecting much and uh, uh, got things going and, and played well and I recall just wedging it in close uh, all week long the par 5s Little soft, and I wasn't. I was laying up on par fives and wedging it in close, making birdies, and maintained that all four days. And uh, you know, uh, again, I, I think I was fortunate early on in my my playing career, junior golf and college and amateur. I learned to win, and um, I think when I got close to the lead, I think I managed to kind of stay in the thick of it and finish it off. But obviously, uh, there's nine seconds to go with the two wins. So maybe I didn't have the greatest conversion rate. But, uh, yeah, I felt comfortable out front and in the thick of it. And, unfortunately, that week I managed to pull it off.
0: And, Rick, when you talk about grinding away, It, it was eight years before you would get your second win, but you kept knocking on the door in the early 90s. You got into a playoff at the 91 Greater Hartford Open, at the 92 Bob Hope Chrysler Classic, and at the 92 Memorial Tournament as well. And then again at the Sprint International, talk about the fortitude to keep knocking on that door and not getting discouraged.
1: Man, I tell you, it's, uh, it's easy to point to those good weeks, but there's an awful lot of, a lot, lot of struggle. And I think getting to know your own game and, uh, you know, I, I jumped on the line here enough to hear the you know, last 10 or 15 minutes. You know, I think he said that, you know, when you're playing bad, you never feel like you're going to play well again. and when you're playing good, you never feel like you're going to struggle again and and I think that um you know even in today's game now that i'm a I'm in the coaching end of things um you know it's just interesting to understand how do we uh, looking back I think all of us when we get down the road a bit in life, we feel like we've learned a lot and and hopefully I can help others to kind of make the make the struggles a little more brief and and extend the good play but I think, uh, I think in this day and age, I think, uh, what's missing is a lot of people maybe don't understand their own game. You know, there's, we're exposed to so much, um, whether it's something somebody thinks is perfection when it comes to a golf swing or a putting stroke or whatever. And, and I think that I would have had even a more sustained, uh, level of good play if I had kind of stayed to myself. You know, I think when we go through struggles, we're looking for new ideas and opinions and, um, I look back and it's like, darn, I wish I just stayed with kind of what I had and had not gone and seen that instructor or whatever else. But, um, but I think that I think, uh, in my coaching now and, and helping other golfers play well, um, it's super noticeable to me that there's a lot of people that simply do not, uh, that simply do not understand the process uh, of learning and playing well. And I think that, um, you know, the, the, you've got to, you got to push through some things. You gotta, I think one of the a couple of the hardest workers I've ever seen are Tiger Woods and Bernhard Longer. And, you know, look at that. Or even a Vijay Singh. And, and these, these guys have sustained great play for a long period of time. So, um, you know, working hard, knowing what to work on. Um, I, I think that what I had was tenacity and, um, and just, you know, would stay at it. I think I also learned, uh, early enough in my career when it was time to just step away and take time off. And, uh, I think sometimes, you know, you've got to know when it's time to go home for a few weeks and, uh, and kind of refresh. So, um, you know, I, I think again, I, I, I had a certain level of talent that was good enough to play at that level. And, you know, I hung in there long enough for things to turn around once in a while. And then inevitably, it ends when you can't turn it around anymore. So um so anyway, really, really fortunate and blessed to have had the career I had.
0: Rick, just a couple more before I let you go. And speaking of finally turning it around, you, you knocked the door down in 1994 at the Disney World Oldsmobile Classic. You win there by two over Craig Stadler and Fuzzy Zeller. You and Stadler were, were tied going into the final round, but you almost didn't make it to the golf course in time for your tea time on Sunday. I read you got there 15 minutes before you were supposed to tee off. Talk about the events of that morning and how you were able to kind of calm the nerves, get rid of the stress, and then go out and win a golf tournament.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like so many other players, Disney week is a fun family time. And, uh, I had my wife, Terry and, and our two youngest, uh, we two oldest, I should say, with us that week. And, uh, we had a courtesy car. We were staying, renting a condo in Lake Plena Vista. And, and I had late tea time and I thought, yeah, I told Terry to, for, to take, take the boys and one last day at the parks and, and that sort of thing. And hey, I'll just have tournament transportation pick me up. Well, i had arranged for a ride and tournament transportation wasn't showing up. <laughs> Believe it or not, Chris. There weren't cell phones back. (laughs) We didn't have cell phones and stuff. And so I'm running back into the condo and and actually yellow pages, looking at yellow pages, trying to get a cab, desperately trying to find somebody to come pick me up because I'm or whatever. I'm a few miles away from the course. And finally, tournament transportation showed up, got me the course there with 12 or 15 minutes to spare. And I think the person panicking the most was my caddy and (laughs) Jim. Friedman was hanging in there and I threw on some shoes and went and probably hit 12 shots on the range and headed to the tee. And, you know, it it, it may be that it kind of took my focus away from all the the other stresses. And I went out there and played, played a pretty good round of golf. And, um, kind of funny. It's a trophy. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a big brass inlaid deal with, uh, Donald and Mickey and Goofy, you know, on top of it. so I won a trophy with Donald and Mickey and Goofy and beat a guy named Fuzzy and, and, uh, and the walrus. So I knocked off Fuzzy and the walrus to win the Donald, Mickey and Goofy, but not quite. It doesn't have the feeling of a major, but it was a pretty important event.
0: <laughs> and, and Rick, just a, a comment yeah. in the round. Uh, you hit your tee shot on the par 312 and you buried it in the bunker, but you managed to blast it out to six feet and you saved par. Sadler had birdied the first four holes on the back nine, but said that was an amazing up and down that you had. Talk about how key that sand save was to propelling you on to victory.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. And uh thanks for jogging the memory. Uh It's one of those things that you could say, oh, this is, yeah, this is what I did that was different. It's just, no, I think that um it was obviously the momentum was going in Craig's direction. Obviously, I hit a poor tee shot there, and and I just think that what I could point to, and this might be some help to if there's any young, aspiring players listening. I don't know; it's a bunch of us old guys talking, but but anyone out there that uh, you don't know what condition or what kind of shot is going to be called upon. You know, there's no two shots are the same. So I just think in practice and in training, get as creative as you can and try every darn shot you can. Find and, um, you know, you learn cause and effect. And, you know, I, I knew how to hit a shot from a buried lie and, you know, kind of firm, firm base in the bunker. And, you know, it happened to come out really nice, obviously to hit a shot, you know, out of that kind of lie to six feet. But, um, you know, I was prepared and, uh, I executed, but, um, you know, I was only two for about 400 as far as 400 tour events and one twice. So, um, it didn't always come off uh that well, but I think if you stay at it long enough, you know, your time's gonna come.
0: Rick before I let you go, remind our listeners you talked about your coaching. Talk about what you're doing now and how we can stay up to date with you, whether it's on your website or it's over social media.
1: Yeah, I probably probably the I haven't put too much out there lately, but uh probably Twitter's the place where I I might share more more thoughts and 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 ideas and that's at fair golf f e h r g o l l f uh twitter's doesn't really suit my style quite as much, but I'm there at Rick fair and then and then the website's uh there's not a whole lot there so I just point you to to twitter and and instagram and then what I'm doing is uh I'm the director of instruction at a, a the top private club out here in Washington State Aldera Golf Club we're hosting the Pac-12s here this next month, and just fantastic club with great membership. And uh, um, do a lot of coaching, and primarily to the the members here at the club. But I also teach some some folks who aren't members, and and love what I'm doing. Just feel like I've learned a lot, and uh I am passionate about continuing to learn, figure out how guys like Cal and Pertz and I played well, and and how Tiger did it, and Colin Morikawa, and and then trying to share that that wisdom with others. So it's kind of my new my new deal. I've poured myself into competitive golf and now I've poured myself into coaching and I'm going after it with the same sort of uh intensity and enthusiasm. Love it.
0: Well Rick, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your evening to come and be a part of the show. Learned a lot from you. You got a lot of great stories. I hope we get the privilege of having you back sometime.
1: Oh, I'd love to do it, Chris. Thanks for having me on.
0: Rick, take care. All the best in your family. Look forward to catching up soon. That is Rick Fair, F-E-H-R is the spelling of his last name, and uh, at Rick Fair on social media, and they talk about a guy who was a grinder, you know, I love the fortitude, he kept knocking on that door, got a win, and then just kept knocking on the door, getting himself into a playoff, didn't always work out, but continuing to push forward, and then got his second win, and uh now he's doing some great things as an instructor, but. Uh, Rick's a great guy, and uh, like I say, I hope we get to, uh, to catch up with him again soon. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks again to Tom Patrick, Tom Perzer, Mark Kalkovecchia, and Rick Fair for joining me tonight. Scheduled to join me next week are a great friend of the show and four-time winner on the PGA Tour, Tim Simpson will be back. As will one of the top instructors in the game and the host of the Golf Kingdom TV show, Rob Strano, will be here. As will 21-time winner between the PGA and Champions Tours, John Cook, will be back. Looking forward to having Cookie back as part of the show. Then we'll round it out with PGA Class A professional and the host of the pro show, Keith Stewart. So, folks, it's going to be a great show. I hope you'll come back and join us and be a part of it. You can listen to this show as a podcast on just about every major podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast.co, Audioboom, Player.fm, and Podbean. Please check out our website, NextOnTheT.net, to stay up to date with what our future guest schedule looks like. Plus, we've got links on there for you to recent episodes and individual guest segments. Folks, I can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to this show again tonight. I know you've got a lot of golf podcasts to choose from. I am very thankful that you are making Next on the Tee one of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.